we have been doing. Uh, I am right. I know I'm right. You're wrong. You don't know. I know. And if you would just know what I know, then things would be so much better. I'm so right that you need to do what I'm telling you to do. The world would be a much better place if everybody just did what I know. Because I know and you don't know. (laughs) This sometimes kind of captures the idea of the way culture is. is I'm right. You can't tell me otherwise. And, And we may not necessarily express it in words like, you know, you're dumb and I know. But we often can think that way. One of the things that you've been observing as we've gone through the book of Acts is Paul is constantly coming up against that kind of thinking as he goes about trying to teach people and their response is essentially, you don't know what you're talking about. You're wrong. I'm right. I know I'm right. And you need to think about what you're saying because you're wrong. And I want to spend some time here in, in Acts chapter 18 and 19 this morning uh, in, a, in a lesson that I'm calling transitions. Because what you see happening in this section of God's word are a lot of people moving through transitions. And uh, I think that's really the, the nature of life in general is that things are always transitioning from one aspect to another, one season of life to another. And ultimately what God wants us to do in a very important transition as we look at our service to him. In Acts chapter 18, you have the Apostle Paul and he comes into the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth is is an important city to have a sense of. Uh, Corinth is a, in a pretty worldly city. It's a renowned worldly city. Um, it would probably be like the terminology of what you think about if we said, you know, Las Vegas or San Francisco is that kind of thinking of, yeah, that's a worldly place. Uh, Corinth carried that kind of thinking where it was known for its immorality. It was known for its worldliness. And I want you to notice that Paul decides to come into this city and he does as he always does is that in verse four, it says he goes into the synagogue and every Sabbath and he's trying to persuade the people there, the Jews and anybody else who is attending at synagogue to be able to tell them about God's word. Not really too surprising at this point as we look at Paul's life and as he goes into synagogues that usually has a fairly negative reaction. It especially does uh, as he tries to persuade these Jews and Greeks where uh, we're told there in verse 5 that he's testifying to the Jews that uh, the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. And from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And I want you to see that this is one of the first times that we see Paul talking about this important transition. He says, if you're not going to receive it, I'm going to transition and I am going to talk to people who are interested. I am going to the Gentiles. I have come into the synagogues and I've tried to teach you the way of God. But notice their response is, we're right and you're wrong. We're going to oppose you. We're going to revile you. We're going to make fun of you. We're going to resist you in every way. 
And so as they're resisting him and opposing him, Paul says, and I'm going to go to a people who are going to be more receptive. And so he says, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. That's important when you read that, not to think. Now, Paul means he's never going to go to another synagogue again or never teach the Jewish people again. He means in this city, because we're going to be told a little bit later there in verse 11 that he's going to stay there for a year and a half. He's going to spend a very long time, the longest we ever see him up to this point, working in a city. But his message is, I'm going to look for people who are interested in listening to the gospel. Now, here's what I think is interesting about this transition of Paul. Is the renowned nature of Corinth. Worldly, wicked, immoral, Not people who you would look at and go, well, this would be a great place to teach the gospel. That you don't see Paul saying, okay, since the people in the synagogue are not going to listen, I'm going to just write the city off in Corinth because, you know, it's really bad and it's really wicked. And I'm just going to go try somewhere else. I find it interesting that in a city as known for its immorality as Corinth, that Paul kind of settles into the city and spends a year and a half there teaching and trying to convince them about the ways of God. And that's what chapter 18 shows him doing in this city of Corinth. The reason why I think that is important for us to observe that his willingness to do something like that is because sometimes as Christians, we have the tendency to think that Well, the city is getting darker. Look how bad things are. Look how evil it is. Look at what's going on. We need to get away. We need to run from the city. We need to get out of this darkness. And we need to go somewhere else. Because look at how bad things are. And I submit to you, I'm not sure in the first century you would have found a more immoral place of cities in the empire, but the city of Corinth, that's a pretty bad place. And yet I want you to see that Paul's mentality is that as the city gets darker, I need to be here and be light. And I think that's an important message because one of the things that God has called us to do, Jesus' own words, is that we are supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And I think reminding ourselves of that purpose is so critical to how we perceive the world because the mission of light is not that we would go find more light and go, you know, think about that in your house. What I'm going to do is I'm going to grab all the lamps and put them all in one spot. The mission of light is not to huddle up with other light. The mission of light is to be placed in the darkness so that that darkness will turn to light. And that's what I see the Apostle Paul doing here is saying, I'm in Corinth and I'm not going to go, well, you know, never mind. It's too bad. It's too awful. Forget this. No chance. This place is nuts. I'm going to go somewhere where it's safer. He settles in. For the first time ever, we see him settling in and for more than a year and a half spends his time there because this is a city that needs the light. 
And I hope that we would have a transition in our thinking about how we look at what our role is as the body of Christ and as lights in the world. Because I want us to see that when you talk about being a light in the world, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be scary, nor does it mean that the work is not going to be hard. In fact, you see that in the text here. I find it interesting that here he is in the city and he's going to go to the Gentiles. But notice verse 9 of Acts 18. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Now, I want you to stop for a minute. Why did God have to tell Paul that? Why did God have to tell Paul? All right, Paul, don't be afraid. Go on speaking and don't be silent. Probably because he was afraid and considering not speaking and being silent. That's probably what's going on at the moment. He needs some encouragement while he's in this city, while he's in Corinth to Keep on preaching, especially because when he goes in cities preaching, what happens to him? He gets attacked and dragged in front of various trials and tribunals and dealing with all of that. And now you come into a city like Corinth where you know that's not going to go very well. A very worldly city. And he's concerned about that. And the point that you see God making here is... It's not going to be easy. Shining as light in the darkness is not going to be easy. And I think sometimes we think it will. Now, as we try to shine as a light, we're just going to, well, it's just going to be really simple. It won't be that hard. No, it's going to be really hard. And not only is it going to be really hard, it's going to be frightening sometimes. It's going to be frightening to illuminate dark places. It's going to be frightening to shine when it looks like everyone around you is darkness. And what I find really interesting is you'll notice that verse 9, the Lord says to Paul, I'm with you and no one will attack you to harm you. And you think, okay, it's going to be really easy then, right? No, you'll notice in verse 12 that he gets arrested. <laughs> you know, the, well, it's going to be simple now, right? Because God said he's always going to harm me. Well, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Immediately you have a problem. Notice that they grab him, drag him in front of the, the pro-council, making this united charge against him in verse 12. And here's what they say in verse 13. This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. That's the charge. Paul is going around saying things that are not lawful for us to hear or practice as Romans. Claiming Jesus to be the true and only king. That he's the son of God, not the emperor. That we bow down and worship God and God alone and we don't worship human beings. You can imagine what Paul is probably proclaiming in this thoroughly Roman city of Corinth. And telling them what it means to follow the true and living God. And finally it comes to a point where he's put in front of people, in front of a trial and says, 
Here's what he's going around telling us to do. He's telling us to worship God and he's trying to persuade people to worship God. And we all know that that breaks Roman law. See, the Romans didn't care how many gods you worshiped, but you couldn't tell them to not worship those gods and only this one. How dare you? (laughs) Don't say there's only one God and he alone is to be worshiped. You can worship whatever you want and whoever you want. That's fine. But don't go around persuading people that they're not supposed to do that and they're supposed to only worship the true and living God. That's what's breaking the law. And I think it is so important to see that Paul in the city of Corinth, knowing that situation, is going around persuading people We need to worship God and God alone. We need to serve the true and living God and him alone. And that he doesn't allow his fear to stop him from doing the work. And we have to understand how much of a culture shift we are engaged in in the moment. You realize that... We are in a culture that is tolerant of every belief and every person and every activity, except if you're a Christian telling people what they're doing is wrong. That will not be tolerated in this culture. And it's easy to be afraid and say, well, I'm not going to say anything I'm not going to stand up for God I'm not going to be so devoted I'm not going to shine as light I'm not going to resist that darkness because it's against the culture it's against the rules it's against what's normative you're going to be cancelled you're going to be hated you're going to be despised if you stand for God and proclaim him as the true and living God And we have to be in a reality and in a a, a place, a transition of our minds that if we are told don't worship God, we're going to worship God. Or if we're told like Daniel, don't pray to God, we're going to pray to God. Or if we're told you don't get to talk about what's right and wrong and what's sin and what's good and evil and all that, that we're still going to do that. We are ourselves as Christians in a moment where there is a need of transition in terms of how we look at our city and look at our culture and the willingness to shine as a light in it, to not back away from it. And I know it's scary because I'm just as scared as you about it. But so was Paul. But to walk into those spaces and still proclaim, even if the culture and the law says not to, we must persuade people about God. We can't let the world and the culture and the law dominate what is truth and what is right. And I'm just amazed to see the Apostle Paul walk into a city like Corinth and he settles in there. And what is he doing? He's persuading people to worship the true and living God. He's going around telling people about this true and living God. It's outside of the scope of our study, but I love that just when it looks like things are going to go bad and Paul's about to open his mouth, God does exactly what he promised he was going to do. 
gets him right out of there. No problem whatsoever. Love, love that God always keeps his word and keeps his promises. So that's our first picture in terms of the city of Corinth. Now, by the same token, there's another transition image that's given to us at the end of chapter 18. You have in chapter 18 from really verse 18 to verse uh, until the end of the chapter there, verse 28. Uh, Paul comes to Ephesus for a moment. He's though on his way to Jerusalem and he says, I'll come back as soon as I can. Uh, and we're told about a, a fellow who is in Ephesus in verse 24. His name is Apollos. The wording about him is, is very interesting. If you notice in verse 24, it says, he's an eloquent man. He's competent in the scriptures. He has been instructed in the way of the Lord. He is fervent in spirit. And he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, even though he only knew about John's baptism. Interesting picture about him. Here he is, he knows about Jesus, he's teaching accurately about the way of the Lord, he's an eloquent speaker, he, he, he's winning people over in that, but he only knows about John's baptism. And you might wonder, well, how would that be? But I think that would be logical, is that you would have had people who had been part of John's baptism and been disciples of John, but then over time have scattered and moved to other areas of the empire and have not heard the full message that Jesus now did arrive and had died for their sins. They were looking forward to that, but hadn't been informed of that happening. And I want you to notice in verse 26, it tells us that uh, Priscilla and Aquila hear him speaking boldly in the synagogue. At the end of verse 26, it says, and they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, maybe I'm the only one who stumbles over that use of words. But I want you to catch this. It says... That he knows the scriptures, he's instructed in the way of the Lord, and, and note in verse middle of verse 25, it says that he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And yet then it turns around and says he needed to be taught more accurately. That's interesting. And so I draw a conclusion from that. You can be like Apollos and be taught the way of the Lord, have great enthusiasm for the Lord, teach the facts about Jesus accurately, and still not have all the puzzle pieces quite right. It seems like he has all the facts right. He's got the facts about Jesus, the way of the Lord, he knows the scriptures. His text says he's teaching accurately. But it's possible to know Jesus. It's possible to know about the things of God. It's possible to be very enthusiastic for God and still not have all the pieces locked in correctly. That seems to be what's happened here. And how interesting that Apollos, I mean, excuse me, Aquila and Priscilla come to Apollos. And explain to him the way of God more accurately. And please notice that he receives that. Notice that Apollos doesn't say, well, you're, I know, I'm right. I'm smart. I'm eloquent. I know the scriptures. I know things. I want you to notice that Apollos receives that. 
He's taught more accurately. And this transition happens for him as he's teaching about Jesus through the lens of John. And now he's teaching about Jesus without the lens of John that Jesus has come and has died for sins. And that has now occurred. And he's now proclaiming that as it says there in verse 28, powerfully refuting the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. He is going around able to prove that because he has been taught more accurately. This transitions into the next little paragraph. I don't like this chapter break because it's the same concept of what's going on. You will notice that we find that after Apollos now goes to Corinth, Paul is able to return to Ephesus in verse one. And he finds some people there, some disciples who've been baptized with John's baptism. I think this is really interesting. He asked what they were baptized into, verse 3, into John's baptism. Verse 4, Paul says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. And notice in the next verse, verse 5, and on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here they've been baptized in John's baptism, looking forward to the one to come, looking forward for the Christ, that one day he's going to come and deal with sins. And so here they are hoping and looking forward to that. And Paul explains to them, that's already happened. Christ has come. He's lived his life. He's died for sins. He's risen from the dead. He's ascended back to the throne. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's reigning now. And notice that verse five says that they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And I have a big question for you. Why? Have you ever asked why? Why were they baptized in the name of Jesus here? It's not like John's baptism was wrong. It was right. They had followed that. It's not like you're repudiating John. No, John had it all wrong. What a royal mess he was. You need to get baptized. He was baptized. They did what God wanted. Why does verse 5 say that even though they had been baptized in John's baptism, that they are now baptized in the name of Jesus? You can talk to me afterward, but I only have one answer. (laughs) I have only one solution that I can come up with as to why this would possibly be necessary for people who've been baptized correctly in John's baptism now need to be baptized again, except what you believe and how you're baptized actually matters. And if that's not the answer, then I don't know why they were baptized. It must be That the faith that you have when you're baptized must matter. Because what had they believed when they were baptized? That one day the Christ would come and take away sins. Accurate? Yeah. True? Yeah. Why are they baptized again? Because now they needed to have a baptism with the faith that believed that he had come and died and had taken away their sins through his death and resurrection. And the reason why I think that's important for us to see 
is because it's easy for there to be lots of reasons given to us in the religious world about why baptism. You baptize because you're joining a church. Baptize because everybody puts pressure on you. And okay, I guess I'll do it. You know, everybody's telling me I've got to do that. You know, well, all your friends are doing it or my parents are beating me over the head about it. <laughs> There's all kinds of reasons about why those kinds of things happen. And I want us to see that what is integral and important to God is that you have a faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ when you're baptized. That's what needed to happen here. Or else why are they baptized? That those kinds of things matter to God. I think that's such an interesting text, especially because we live in a time that says, well, who cares? What does it matter? Baptism, whatever, do it, don't do it. Does it matter? Does it matter how you do it? Does it matter? All those kinds of things. And to me, this is the most important text that I can go to to observe and say, it must have mattered. It must have. Otherwise, why do this? Just go. You were baptized by John. That was acceptable. That was good. Excellent. Carry on. Why baptize again? Except what you believe when you are coming into those waters matters. That you have a faith in God. That you are believing in Christ as your Savior who has taken away sins. That must be the belief. Because their belief was that only it was in the future. They were looking forward to that. And now they would be baptized knowing that that has already occurred. Now, let me pull all this together in terms of transitions and what we're talking about this morning and the scene that is set before us. What I find interesting about Apollos and about these people who had been baptized into John's baptism in chapter 19. So it says that they were hearing the word they're baptized in the name of of the Lord Jesus. That one of the things that I see Paul and those who are teaching God's word struggling with is that they are trying to teach people. And there are some who have the humility to know that they don't know it all. The Corinthians thought in that synagogue, we know. Paul, get out of here. You're a mess. Not listening to you. Apollos, eloquent speaker, spoke powerfully of the word of God, knew about Jesus accurately, and yet he had the humility to know that we don't know. And I think this is important because we live in a time where there lacks a willingness to listen and to learn from others. It is very easy today to surround yourself with people who agree with you and dismiss everybody who doesn't. Here is my knowledge. Here's my box. Here's my knowledge. And you must agree with my knowledge. Now, I said it tongue-in-cheek to you at the beginning of the lesson. I know and you don't know and the world would be a much better place if you did what I, I know and all. And we don't necessarily say it like that, but we act like that where we have this knowledge box and you can't tell me otherwise. 
Don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't tell me I'm misunderstood. Don't tell me that I don't understand these things. Don't tell me that. And I want us to see that the heart of what God is looking for in people are those who would have the humility to know that I need to listen and learn from others. And Apollos did it. And these disciples here in in Acts 19, they listen to Paul. They don't go, Paul, you're nuts. Get out of here. Baptism, ding dong. I was in John's baptism and that's good enough. They had humility. And they listened to what Paul had to say. Because I want us to recognize that when we're dismissive of other people, it just shows we lack humility. When we're just dismissive, you're dumb, you don't know, I know, you don't know. That is the essence of what God doesn't want. And here's why I know that this is so important to the gospel and why this is so important to what you see Paul dealing with. Because the essence of the gospel is this. You are wrong. And the way you think is wrong. Did you know that's the essence of the gospel? (laughs) The essence of the gospel starts like this. The way you think about life is completely wrong. That's it. If you don't start there, you're not going to listen to the whole idea of God's on the throne and you're in your sins and you need to come to him. Because it all starts with you're dead in your sins. You need to change your life. You're wrong in your way of thinking. And so I think it's important for us to see what the essence of the gospel is all about. Is God trying to tell us to be humble enough to listen, to learn, and to change our way of thinking. So let me end by talking about this in our final few minutes. I want you to consider where you are in your journey with God. I want you to consider where you're at in your journey with God. Because we've seen a lot of pictures in this chapter and a half. We see a picture of shining as light in the darkness. Will we listen to that picture that Jesus teaches us that the Apostle Paul exemplifies And be willing to step into our culture as shine as lights. To speak and act as the people of God and the society around us. And would we be so bold as to come into our culture and come into our society and be willing to persuade people to God even if your culture absolutely hates you for that. Even if your culture reviles you, excludes you, and tells you that you're wrong, and there's even consequences for living a faithful life as a follower of Christ and as a proclaimer of Christ. Are we willing to make those kinds of transitions to live our lives in that kind of way? Are you on the pendulum of trying to follow God and you're trying to journey with him? And maybe you've said a prayer to God and you're trying to follow him. 
but you haven't taken the next steps. You haven't repented of your sins. You haven't been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Where are you on this journey? And what God is always doing to us is moving us to this next phase, to this next transition, to this next moment, to this next season. And where you are on that pendulum matters so much to God because he's trying to move you in such a way to be transformed into the image of his son. And one of the things that I appreciate is that you don't have Paul telling these disciples, no, you guys are so dumb. You know, everything that you did in your life was so dumb. You totally missed it out on it all. You just don't know. But just tell them more about Jesus. Tell them more about the way of salvation. And so maybe you are early on in this journey and you need to take the next steps. Next steps of turning away from sin, changing your life so that you are a follower of him, not a follower of self and a follower of sin. That you would make that transition and do that today. And maybe you've been walking with God, but you haven't been baptized yet. But that's something that God calls for all people to do, that you would make that step and transition to do that today before it's too late. And maybe you've repented and you've confessed and you're baptized, but you're not shining as a light. You've huddled with the light, but you're not shining in the darkness. Would you make that transition today and be willing to boldly step forward into our culture and into our city and engage the people around you and show them that Jesus is the Son of God who needs to be obeyed and followed, loved, and served. And that maybe you would even say, the reason why I'm not shining as a light is because I'm afraid of what's going to happen. And I'll raise my hand and tell you, me too. And Paul would raise his hand and he would say, me too. But we're called to make that transition even in the face of fear. To stand as a light and tell people about God even when you might have massive repercussions against you. A beautiful picture of what the gospel looks like. Where are you in your journey? And how can we help you in that journey? Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is, it is easy for us to become comfortably stuck in where we are in our spiritual walk. It's easy for us to stay where we feel is safe. Stay where we feel comfortable and to not extend ourselves outside of that. Lord, I pray that you would prick our hearts. And Lord, that you would prick our hearts in such a way to see what the next steps are that we need to be taking so that we would be your people. And Lord, I pray that you would help us make those transitions that we need to make in our lives that would cause us to move forward and no longer be spiritually comfortable where we're at. Help us to walk forward with you. Lord, give us boldness and courage and strength to not only live as you want us to live and putting away the sins of this world, 
and to not only live as you want us to live so that we would shine by our example in this world, but Lord, give us courage and give us boldness to open our mouths and to not be ashamed to talk about you to other people. And Lord, we we live in a time that we are becoming more fearful to do this. And and Lord, we know that's not unusual for, for history. We see Paul and so many of your followers dealing with rejection and suffering for your namesake. And Lord, help us to walk through that fear and say and do as you want us to do so that we can shine as a light in this city here around us. Give us the courage to do it. Give us the boldness to do it. And give us the lives that can do it around us. And Lord, please forgive us for how many times we have turned our light down or turned it off. We've been afraid to shine as we ought to shine. Forgive us for forgetting our mission and forgetting our purpose. Forgive us for when we've become so comfortable with you that we have forgotten what you've called for us to do. And Lord, encourage us to go forward. Encourage us to greater strength and a greater zeal and a greater devotion to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing an invitation song now, and we invite you to take advantage of the opportunity wherever you are in your journey with God today to move forward with him today before it's too late. Take that step with him. Turn to him with all of your heart. Repent of your sins. Follow him faithfully. If you haven't been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you can do that this very morning. Today may be the day you need to just dedicate yourself that I'm going to live this week different. I'm going to live this week really being the light that I need to be. I'm going to shine. That you would make that devoted step in your heart and in your mind today while you can before it's too late. Make today a turning point in how you're going to live for God. Can we help you do that? You can come now while we stand and while we sing.